so my daughter Sophie plays on a, uh, a soccer team, and she had a game last weekend. And one of the things that they're always telling her team is that they are responsible for showing up ready to play. And so at their age, they're in fourth grade, and they're being told you gotta, you, you gotta keep track of your own bag, you gotta bring your own cleats, you gotta make sure that you have the right uniform. Um, they wear two different colors. They have a red uniform and they have a blue uniform. And the game was, and they said, okay, you're going to show up. Every game, you got to show up. You have to wear the right uniform and bring the wrong uniform, bring the other uniform just in case, just in case there's some reason, for some reason you need to be able to, we need to change. We need to make sure everyone has the other option. And so the game comes last Sunday and lo and behold, the other team is wearing the same color jersey that Sophie's team is supposed to be wearing. And so the coach says, okay, everyone put on the red. And like three quarters of the girls did not have the red jerseys. And they were freaking out. And the parents were saying, well, can't you, can't we put on like pennies, you know, like some other color top or something like that? It's like, no, if they don't have jerseys, they can't play. And so all the parents are like jamming home and stuff like that. Girls are like crying because they think they're not going to play this game. And they played the game. And afterwards, the coach made this point of saying like, if you... At this point, you need to show up ready to play. You need to be responsible for your own stuff. And if you are not ready to play, then what are you even here for? Guys, you are in high school, and I'm asking that when you come to youth group, you be ready to play. That you come and you're ready to hear God's word. You're ready to be able to fellowship with one another. Uh, and when it comes to hearing God's word, just a couple things. I really would encourage you guys to bring a Bible. So every week, you should know the drill if you've been here. Like, we're going to show up. We're going to look at the Bible. So have the Bible with you. Um, if it's on your phone, great. I think it's great if you have a physical one. There's something about that I think is really wonderful. Uh, we give you handouts. So if you have a writing utensil, it'd be great if you could bring one and use it. Otherwise, we have them here. But I want you to show up ready to hear God's word, okay? Um, and so we're going to jump into it in a little bit. And I'm not trying to call out anyone in particular. It was just something that came to mind. So we have just a couple of announcements. Uh, so next week, we have normal youth group. The week after that is the women's retreat. And so uh, we're not going to have normal youth group because all of the women's staff are going to be gone. The guy, so all the ladies, you're off. You know, you don't have to come to youth group. The guys, we're doing small group hangouts instead. So your small group leaders are going to reach out, and we're going to be hanging out together in our small groups. Um, the week after that is Feed My Starving Children. So if you guys have, how many of you guys have done that event before? Like probably a lot of you guys, right? So we turned this whole room into like a food packing facility. Um, so this year, uh, the Friday slot filled up really fast. Like there's like two slots left, you know? Uh, and so that means that there's not enough room for everyone in youth group to be able to come on Friday night. And so we're not going to have normal youth group, and we're not going to have like a regular youth group slot for Feed My Starving Children. But we really want you to participate. So there's lots of slots on Saturday. So if you can sign up for the Saturday slot, that would be awesome. Okay, so in case your parents are wondering, are we doing something for Feed My Starving Children? Um, not, not on Friday night, but you can sign up on your own to serve on Saturday. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. I need some help with something. Mason, come here. And Bruce, come here. All right, perfect. Okay, you need you guys, oh, okay I need you guys to stand here. Okay, Mason, stand right here. All right. I have here with me two sponges. Normal, every day. Which, what color does Bruce get? Pink? Because of pink? Okay. That, by process of elimination, means that you get the, the green. Okay. That's how, that's how reality works. Okay. Here we go. So, 
you guys are going to have a choice, okay? I have two pots here. One is just a normal empty pot. The other one is not an empty pot because it is filled with water, okay? <laughs> I'm gonna, so I'm going to give you guys a choice. You guys are going to choose here. You guys are going to face that way. I have a pot on, let's say, their right, so you're on your right-hand side and the left-hand side, and you're going to choose which one, which pot I'm going to dip a sponge into, and whatever comes out of that pot, I'm going to hold it over your head, and I'm going to squeeze it with all my pastoral might, okay? And, and so, whoever, you know, so whoever chooses one pot, the right or the left, that is their pot, and by, again, by process of elimination, they will get, the other person gets the other pot. Does that make sense? So I will, um, why don't you guys rock, paper, scissors right now to decide who chooses which pot, okay? So winner chooses, winner chooses. Okay. I can do the wet pot. You know what, you know what, just against you. Okay, well, gentlemen, a, gentle, a gentleman's agreement. Okay, here we go. All right. So are you guys, is someone choosing first? This illustration has not gone the way I hoped. <laughs> I should have chosen someone less, less, less insane to do this, I think. Let's just, just, let's just play it out as it is intended. So just let's pretend like you don't know, okay? So go ahead and rock, paper, scissors, see who chooses. Yes, keep going. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, okay. All right, Mason chooses. Okay, face that way. I'm going to switch the pots, or am I? Or am I going to switch them out? You don't know. I'm all crafty and stuff. All right. All right. So, Mason, do you want the pot on the left or do you want the pot on the right? On the left? Okay. All right. Here we go. So I'm going to, because you won, you know, as a gentleman, I'm going to let you go last. I'm going to do Bruce first, okay? So I'm going to dip this sponge into this pot, and I'm going to hold it over Bruce's head, and I'm going to squeeze. Here we go. One, two, three. Yeah, you feeling good, Bruce? All right, you made it. So you survived. So again, all right, Mason, by process of elimination, I'm going to take this, and with all my pastoral might, I'm going to squeeze this over your beautiful head. Here we go. One, two, three. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, Mason. Mason, here. Just now. Here. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Mason. All right. All right. So I have a question for you. Why? Let's assume, you know, Bruce is dry and we're not interested in that. Why is, why is Mason wet? Why is Mason wet? It's not rhetorical. I'm asking a genuine question. Yeah. Why is Mason wet? Any, yeah. Because I poured water on him? Yeah. Where did the water come from? From what? The pot? Yeah. It came from the pot. Okay. Any other? Any other? Yeah. He chose the pot. Okay. Yeah. He foolishly chose the pot. He wanted to get wet. He willed it into existence. Yeah. Okay. Okay. These are all valid, valid observations. Any other observations? He wanted to, yeah. That, that definitely is a reality. 
Would anyone say that, that Mason got wet because I squeezed the sponge over him? Yeah, it's true, right? right? I think that for some people, right, if I ran up to some random person and I squeezed a wet sponge on top of them, right, and clearly they would be upset. They would not be like Mason, right? And if they got upset and they say, and they say what are you so upset about, right? I think most sane people that are, again, not Mason would say something like, well, I'm upset because you squeezed a sponge over my head. And say, so, well, I mean, I also squeezed a sponge over my friend Bruce's head and he was not upset at all. There you go. Case closed. And it just goes to show that just because you squeeze a sponge over someone's head is not a guarantee that they're going to get wet, right? We saw that. I squeeze a sponge over, me, over Bruce's head, completely dry. I squeeze a sponge over Mason's head. He is soaking wet. The difference, right, is in what's in the sponge, right? Both sponges are treated the exact same way. They're squeezed, and the result that happens after that is because of what is in the sponge, Both sponges are squeezed, and whatever is in the sponge is going to come out. And what this really teaches us is that whatever is inside of you, when you are squeezed, is what is going to come out. So in the book of James that we're studying, James is telling us that we need to be wholehearted Christians, We need to live the entirety of our lives for Jesus, not have any division at all, not this wishy-washy, going to sometimes follow Jesus, not going to follow Jesus, wholehearted devotion to Jesus with no division at all. And what James is going to teach us today is that one of the things that proves whether or not you are a wholehearted Christian is when you get squeezed by trials, what comes out? When the trials of life come along and they squeeze you and make life difficult, whatever comes out of you is going to be a reflection of whether or not you are wholeheartedly following after Jesus. And so take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And just as we're looking, I'll remind you of kind of what James is about. He's written by James. What was Jesus? James, I gave it away. What is James' relationship to Jesus? You guys remember? He's his half-brother. He's like his little half-brother, okay? And, uh, and so we, try, we imagined last week how weird that must be, right, to grow up with Jesus as your brother and how frustrating that must be. And James didn't always believe that Jesus was who he said he was, but he had a miraculous visitation from Jesus after Jesus was resurrected, and he came, became convinced that Jesus was actually God and was who he said he was. And he's writing this to the dispersion, right, These, the, the, the Jewish Christians that are all over the world and they are being persecuted for their faith. They are suffering for their faith. And he's telling them, you need to be wholehearted in your devotion to Christ. And so for these suffering Christians, he writes this in James chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 2 through 8. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
So let's pray together before we look at this, this passage together. God, we ask that as you allow us to look at your word, that you would allow those here today, especially who are really going through difficult times, that they would be able to do exactly what James commands them to, to, to count it all joy. Um, I know that many people here are hurting and suffering in incredible ways, in ways that I don't fully pretend to understand. And I, God, I ask that you would allow the comfort of Christ, uh, the courage of Christ to embolden them and change them, transform them. I know each of these students has come from very long weeks um, because, yeah, and they have lots of great things and hard things that are burdening them. And I pray, Father, that you would allow us to be attentive to your word. You speak to us through it and give us humble hearts towards it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so the question I want to ask today, right, for you guys from this passage is what comes out of a wholehearted Christian when we're squeezed by trials? So just think about your life. What would you say is the hard stuff that you're going through? What about your life right now feels really hard? Just think about that for like five seconds. Kind of pin it in your head. And these hard things, this is life squeezing you. And if you are a wholehearted Christian, what's supposed to come out? We're going to look at two things that ought to come out if you're a wholehearted Christian. The first is joy. When you are a Christian and you are squeezed by life, one of the markers of the fact that you're a follower of Christ is joy. Look at verse 2 again. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And this is a command. He's not saying like, oh, by the way, I have the suggestion for you. There's some studies to show this might be kind of helpful. Or here's something that, you know, you might want to try one day. He's commanding this of us. He says, you have to have joy. You have to count it all joy. Consider it all joy, pure joy, nothing but joy, wholehearted joy. And he says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. I love how he says trials of various kinds. He's saying that all different kinds of trials, whatever the difficulty in life is, big, medium, small, and everywhere in between, all of it is supposed to be met with joy. So you have a difficult test coming up, your little brother breaks your computer, you scratch your new iPhone 15, you suffer from panic attacks, the unspoken silent pressure of your parents, you don't make the varsity team, nobody in your D&D party has an available time to play, your grandma's cancer, your parents' loss of a job, all of it, various trials, big things and little things. James says, these are realities. You're going to face these things. Now, here's something I think that we sometimes do when it comes to thinking about our, our suffering and our trials. I think sometimes we make suffering a competitive sport, right? Like, you hear, you have your suffering, you're kind of aware of that, and you're kind of stacking it up against other people's suffering and the things that are hard for them. And it can kind of go a, a few different ways, right? You can kind of wear your suffering like a badge of honor and say, oh, dude, I'm suffering so much more than that person over there. Why in the world are they complaining? Why are they such a big baby? that They have no idea what it means to be, have hard things in life. Look at the stuff I'm going through. So you can wear your suffering like a badge of honor and use it as a kind of a, a point of pride, you know, that you want to compare yourself to other people. Or you might be on the other end of the spectrum and you might look at your suffering and you might downplay it. And you might say, yeah, it's hard, but... I don't know, I, I, feel bad that, I feel bad that I feel bad about it. You know, like, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Like, I don't know why I'm so immature that, like, this thing feels so hard for me. I know that there are, like, 
starving children in Africa that are having a much harder time. I feel guilty that this, is, this feels hard for me. And you downplay your suffering. And you feel like it shouldn't be that big of a deal, even though it feels like a big deal. And we can play both ends of the spectrum. And what we're doing is we're making suffering a competitive sport. And we're trying to size up, like, who suffers more? Who deserves this, you know, who really is going through a hard time? And, you know, who's got it worse? And James is saying, it doesn't matter. So whatever the trials are, like these various trials, you know, God is aware of it. God is sovereign over all things. And it's significant because it's your trial. It might feel big or it might feel small, but the thing that's significant is that it's yours. And because it's yours, it means that God cares about it and he cares about you. And because he cares about it and because he cares about you, he wants to tell you how to respond to it. And he says to count it all joy. He says when you wake up tomorrow morning with whatever difficulty you're facing, you can look it in the eye and say, this, I'm going to approach this with incredible wholehearted joy. Now, this is really different from how we normally react to trials, from how I normally react to trials. I get really angry. I get upset. I get impatient. I'm looking for someone to blame. I'm looking for the solution to fix it. Right? If I were to ask you, what would make you joyful in the trials that you're going through? So at the very beginning, I asked you, just what are the, the hard things you're going through? Just imagine the situation. What would make you happy about that trial? What would have to happen in order for that trial to make you happy? And what would you say? That's hypothetical. Just throwing it out there. My, for me, most of the time, it's make it stop. If it stopped existing, if the hard thing went away, that would make me really happy. I would be thrilled. But James is saying that a wholehearted Christian is not just joyful when the trial is over. He says we're joyful in the trial. So why is that? Or how can we have joy when life sucks? It's because James is telling us you need to recognize that God is doing something specifically in these trials. Look at verse 3. And so why is it that we can have joy? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James is saying we can be joyful in trials because God is using these trials for something special. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. He says that these trials are a testing of your faith to produce steadfastness. Right? When God places you in a trial, he's giving you a difficult circumstance that is going to force you to choose to either live God's way or to live your way. That's what's happening in a trial. You are being squeezed to the, to the point where you must choose under this pressure, am I going to live God's way or am I going to live my way? And at that moment of testing, he's trying to grow your faith and strengthen you. With the testing, this, the training is supposed to produce, James says, is steadfastness, to be immovable, right? To, the ability to endure, to endure despite difficult circumstances. I mean, would you, if you look at the way that you handle the difficulty of life, would you describe yourself as being steadfast, that you are stable and immovable? <clears throat> and if you're steadfast, what has James said? It has its full effect. Do you maybe be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? What God is trying to do is he's trying to perfect you. 
And by perfect, it doesn't mean like make you without flaw, right? And make you a, you know, a morally perfect person. The idea has the, whole, the idea of completion or wholeness. He wants you to be mature. He wants you to grow in your faith. And so all this testing is meant to accomplish that, that you would mature. And so I think most of us want to grow. I think most of us want to mature. Um, I mentioned my daughter Sophie. You know, she's, she's in fourth grade. My daughter Abby's in sixth grade. I don't know if you guys have seen Abby recently. She's a monster in, in height, not morally. She's a, <laughs> physically, she's a monster. She's like 5'4", she's like I think, and as like a sixth grader. She's a giant, right? And Sophie is just this teeny tot little girl, right? And she just wants to grow so badly. And she's always asking me, when am I going to grow, right? It's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know you're going to probably be average Asian woman height, you know, as far as I know. But we all probably want to grow, you know, not just physically. Some of us are, we're stuck where we are. We're not getting any bigger. Until you get older, then you get bigger the other direction. That's also inevitable. But all of us want to grow. And I think most of us would like to be more mature. And we're looking at this and saying, God, it'd be great if you could do that in me. But is, there, is it possible there's a way for you to help me grow as a Christian without having my life suck? Like, is that at all a possibility? It'd be nice if, you know, you could just give me what I want and I also happen to grow and mature at the same time. But this is God's recipe for growth. Do any of you guys bake at all? Like, what are some of the normal ingredients in baking? Like, let's say you want to bake a cake. What, what goes into a cake? Flour, okay. Eggs, sugar, butter, baking soda, some kind of leavening agent, right? Baking powder. That's the base of it, right? Like flour, eggs, butter, sugar, some kind of leavening agent, you know, chocolate, whatever. So, but you think about those, those core ingredients like flour, sugar, butter, baking powder, you know, eggs, right? It's all, and it's just all raw, right? It's pretty gross stuff. If I told you, okay, your meal today, right, is going to be a cup of flour, right, and just throw it out there on a plate. Oh, here's a raw egg. You know, say, oh, you want to wash it down with some baking soda, right? It's all pretty gross stuff, but it's all necessary in order to make the cake, right? You, you put all this stuff together, and you mix it all together in the right proportion, and you heat it, and what comes out of it is a delicious cake, and you can't have it unless you have the right ingredients, and so God is taking these really difficult things in your life that you might look at and say, yuck, why in the world would that be a good thing? And you got to let God cook. You got to let him do his thing. You got to let him take the, these difficult ingredients in your life and stir it around and heat your life up a little bit. And, out will and what pops out is not just a cake, but a mature Christian. The, uh, this idea of testing that the, the purpose of this, God putting you through trials, this idea of testing, one of the uses of this word testing was to describe silversmiths, like guys that would work with silver. And what would happen is you would take silver and it's filled with all these impurities. And so what do you have to do in order to test it? To, you have to remove the impurities. You have to heat it. So you put it in this thing and you heat it and the, th and the impurities would float to the surface. And so the, the silversmith had to scrape it off, right, and discard it. And they would kind of have to keep heating it and keep heating it in order to remove the impurities and scrape it off just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, until at the end of it, you have this purified silver. And I don't know if this is true, but I hope it is, that the silversmith would be able to look into it and know that it was pure because he could look into the, the silver and he would see his own reflection in it because of the purity of it. And I think this idea that you are being tested in your trials 
is God's heating you up so he can scrape off the, the impurities, the part of your life where you're not wholeheartedly following him so that one day he can peer into your life, he can see his own reflection in it, that you will look more and more like Jesus. That's why he has you where he has you. That's why your life oftentimes feels difficult. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's because in his love for you, he wants you to look more like him. Now, being joyful in trials doesn't mean that you put on a happy face, you have to pretend like things aren't a problem, right? When, we, when life is hard, it is good and right to feel sad and good and right to feel bad about those things. It's good and right to cry and to weep and to long for things to be better. But the thing that anchors you and allows you to be steadfast is underneath the tears and underneath the longing for something to be better is joy, is a joy that knowing that God is with you and he's doing something in you and he's doing something for you. Joy means saying and believing that despite how hard something is, God must be doing something good because he is good and he's making me look more like Jesus. So think about the hard thing that you're going through right now. Can you see how God is shaping you more and more into the image of Jesus? Do you look more like Jesus because of what God is bringing you through. I think that every Christian I've ever talked to, every mature Christian I've ever talked to that has gone through some awful thing and has come out on the backside more mature, they hated it. They hated the process. They hated going through suffering. But they wouldn't trade it for anything because it's worth it to come out the backside looking like Jesus. So we need to greet our trials with joy. When we get squeezed, what comes out of a Christian is joy. The second thing that comes out of a Christian when we're squeezed is wisdom, is wisdom. I think when we're really in trouble, right, the natural inclination for us should be to cry out for help. It should be. Um, but a lot of times, that's not what we're asking for. I'm pretty sure I told you this story before, but when I was a senior in college, I took a road trip with my dad. And this was like the final trip my dad and I were going to take together um, before I graduated college. You know, it's, it's significant, right? I'm, I'm about to step out into adulthood and, you know, just me and my dad on this road trip. It was awesome. And my dad and I are talking a long time in this car ride. And all of a sudden, the conversation turns to just things that my dad wanted, he wanted to know. Like, was there anything that I wish was different in my childhood? And, and I, I, I can't believe I said this to him. I said, Dad, I wish you hadn't helped me so much. Because my dad is a really generous, kind man. And there were so many moments when my dad would just come out of the woodwork sometime in order to help me with some difficult thing. To this day, he's one of the most helpful people I know. And I remember as I was about to step out into adulthood thinking like, well, I'm a man. I'm a man. Right? <laughs> That's what my voice sounded like. And uh, I wanted to be independent. I wanted to be on my own. I wanted to have autonomy and be able to do things the way I wanted to do them. And I remember feeling frustrated that I didn't feel ready for it. You know, I'm about to step out and do this thing, but you've been coddling me, Dad. You've been helping me too much. And there's all these things that I, I, I you should have just let me struggle. You should have let me figure it out on my own. I wish you hadn't helped me as much, Dad. And my dad heard me and was really quiet. And he said, well, I appreciate you telling me. And so that night we pull into our hotel and we're in the hotel room. And it's the end of the day, so I'm going to go take a shower. And I'm going in the bathroom and, and like I'm looking at the shower. I'm standing there looking at it. And I, for the life of me, cannot figure out how to turn the shower on. Okay? So I can turn the water on 
and the water comes out of like the spigot at the bottom, right? It comes out there like normal, like a bathtub would, right? But I can't figure out how to get it to divert up to the top to the shower head, right? Because normally there's like a, a lever thing that you lift up, right? And that diverts the water. There was no such lever. It did not exist. So I'm standing there looking at this thing and I have this sinking realization that I have to go back out there and I have to ask my dad to help me take a shower. And so I put my clothes back on. I walk out there. I'm like, all right, Dad, um, can you help me, please? <laughs> and so, so he comes back over. And this is just for your edification. For This is not related to the Bible at all. Okay. So if you ever ever in that situation, right, where there's no lever, do you know where the mechanism is? It's on the end of the spigot. It's on the end of the faucet. So the faucet does this kind of thing, right? Usually there's a, there's a, a piece on the bottom that if you pull it down, that's the lever, Okay. Now you guys are ready for adulthood, okay? You're, you're ready to be set free in this world, okay? So you pull that down. So my dad showed me how to do this, and he and I were both busting up over this because of the idiotic statement I had made before that I just didn't need his help. And to this day, I still need my dad's help. When we are in crisis and we're in trials, James says that we should be crying out for help. We need to run to God and pray and ask for help, but there's something specific we should be asking for. What does James say? He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Right? When you're praying, more than praying for the trial to end, it's like that's always the easiest thing to pray for. But the deeper thing to pray for that James says, you got to long for this even more, is you need to pray for wisdom. And if you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. Right? What you lack is not freedom from trials. What you lack is wisdom in trials. And what is wisdom? Right? We think of wisdom sometimes in sort of like a common sense you know, kind of thing. Like, oh, like, you know, if you're going to take a shower, you pull down the diverter thing that's on the bottom. That's common sense. That's wisdom. Right? You just know that stuff. But biblically, wisdom is more than that. Right? It's not just common sense way of thinking. It's God's way of thinking. Biblical wisdom is living God's way in all of life. Is looking at a situation and being able to say, this is how God wants me to act, and I'm going to do it. That's what wisdom is. We think about how important that is when you are in the middle of a trial. Right? We think that what we should be doing is figuring out how to get out of the trial, right? how to solve it, how to fix it, how to make the hurting stop, how to make someone else change, right? if we think they're the source of the trial. But God's purpose for you in that trial is for you to live wisely. Right? So again, think about the suffering that you're going through, the hard thing you're going through, you need to cry out to the Lord and ask for wisdom. Ask God, how do you want me to live? What is going to be your way in this, and how can I live that out? Right, and James says that when, what happens when we pray? That God gives generously to all without reproach. This is the kind of wisdom, this is the kind of prayer that God will always answer positively. Like, you ever pray for something and wonder, is God really going to give me that? I pray for some crazy stuff, and I've thought, mm, God, I don't know if that's what you want for me, but I'm just going to put it in there anyway. <laughs> you know, like an Amazon wish list you're sending to your relatives, right? And, but wisdom is one of those things that God says, if you ask for this, I will give it to you. you will, he will always give you the way to live faithfully. 
James says, let him ask in faith without, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. What James is saying is that you can't be half-hearted in your desire for God's wisdom. Right? Think of the wave of the sea that's tossed by the wind. Right? It kind of, the way it goes this way, right? And then it goes this way. Right? And it goes this way, and it goes this way. It's just ebbing back and forth and back and forth. There's no stability there. It's unstable, he says. He says the person that's trying to live according to their own wisdom and trying to sort of live according to God's wisdom, he says they're double-minded. Right? You used the illustration last week of playing for two different teams. You just can't do it. But so many of us want that in trials. Right? I kind of want to do things God's way, but I really want to do things my way. And that's not wholehearted Christianity. James is saying that when we go through trials, we need to be decided. God, however you want me to live, I will do it. Right, so how does God give us his wisdom? It is always through his word. It is always in scripture. That's the only way you can know what God wants. So how does that work? Right? You're, you know, your parents are getting upset with you or something like that. It's like, okay, God, am I going to have a good day with my parents? Not likely, you know, like, how does that work? Is it like a magic eight ball? I don't know. Like, no, the way God's wisdom meets you is by knowing God from his word. You read his word and you see who God is and you get the sense, this is what he would want for me from this situation. And it's the only way for you to know what it is that God wants for you. And so how is it that God wants you to live in the middle of your trial? I don't know everything about what you're going through, but I do know this. That God says the two greatest things he could want for you is to love him and to love others. So I don't need to know anything about what you're going through, although I would like to, please tell me. But I don't need to know anything about what you're going through, but I know that the thing that God will always want for you is for you to love God and to love others. Is that what's happening in your life? That things are being squeezed in your life so that you can see that God is the thing that's most important for me. I need to love God more than anybody else. And are you loving other people in the middle of your trials? I think trials sometimes makes us the most selfish people in the world. Don't you feel that sometimes? Like, like, life is so hard for me. How come no one's showing sympathy to me, right? But God wants you to know that in the midst of your trials, his wise way would tell you to love others more than you love yourself. It's a chance for you to sacrifice, to lay aside your own preferences, your own desires. So what does this all look like? Let's imagine the situation. Let's imagine that in your world, you feel really alone for any number of reasons. You just feel really alone. And maybe one of those reasons is that you're a Christian, you're trying to follow Jesus, but especially at school, you just feel really alone. Like you have friends, but you feel like you being a Christian and your friends not being Christians, it's like this giant wall that exists between the two of you. And like they can do stuff and enjoy stuff and they get to have, you know, and participate in all these different things. And you just know as the good Christian boy or girl that's kind of not supposed to be for you. It's not really all that fun looking appealing to you. But either way, you just feel really alone. And you just feel like there's no one that really understands you. Maybe even here. That's a trial. That's a genuine trial. That is hard. That's a difficult thing. And you can't just sweep it under the rug and say, well, that's just whatever. God doesn't care about this stuff. God desperately cares about it. 
and he wants you to live wisely. And so again, what would that look like? What is God's way in the midst of your loneliness? Well, how can you love God? That's one of the wisest things you can do. How can I love God? You might reflect on this and think, you know, as more than I want the approval of these other people, I have the approval of the almighty God. The maker of heaven and earth looks at me and he loves me. He knows everything about me. He made every bit of me. And he loves me just the same. And I need that more than I need the approval of other people. So you figure, well, how can I love God in this? And you also ask yourself, well, how can I love others in the midst of my loneliness? It's okay, well, yeah, they are different from me because they're not Christians or they're just into different stuff. But how can I understand them? How can I show them the love of Christ in my sacrifice, in my kindness, in my integrity? How can I walk with them in their suffering? How can I encourage them in their weaknesses? And if you are walking wisely, then you'll find that you actually don't need them, but you will love them. Because in God, you have everything that you need. And out of that overflow, you can love them freely. And so can you see how just thinking wisely about your suffering is meant to be practical? And and because of that, you can respond with joy. That's such a different way to approach a trial than what the world will tell you. That you just need to point the finger and blame somebody. you got to hope that circumstances will change. But James is saying, no, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. So here's the reality. Every one of us is being squeezed. Every one of us. It's, it's hard to be a teenager. I wake up every day and thank God that I'm not in high school. All of us are squeezed. And I hate to tell you that even as an adult, you will be squeezed. The question is, what will come out of you when we are squeezed? And hopefully what God is doing is he is going to make Jesus come out of you. That as you are squeezed, what comes out of you is Christ-like, God-glorifying wisdom that you would want to live God's way. So let me pray for us and uh, we'll get into our small groups. So God, we thank you so much for just the clarity of your word. And and this is such a a challenging passage in a lot of ways and and at the same time such a hope-giving one. And I pray, Father, that for these, my friends here that are going through difficult times, that they would experience true joy and not just a fleeting happiness or just a sweeping under the rug kind of forgetfulness about their suffering, but they would be able to look their suffering straight in the eye and then look past it to see you. And they would have incredible joy knowing that you were refining them, spooning off the impurities, and slowly day by day are making them more into the image of your son. So God, I pray that you would allow our small group conversations to be uh, edifying and helpful, help us to encourage one another in the midst of all the difficulties we're going through. God, we ask that you would bless us as we go into small groups, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.